wow. I don't know if you've ever been on uh, that side of the conversation, or this side even. Um, uh, it's my guess that uh, several of you guys have. Um, uh, it's no secret that divorce, uh, separations, uh, relationship troubles uh, infect people inside and outside of the church. But even if it's not uh, divorce or a, a separation like that, uh, it seems like hurt is uh, just a universal human experience that all of us have to deal with in this world of sin. And, and so if it's not that thing, um, it might be a, a cancer thing, um, a, an illness thing, it might be a, a health problem or another problem with your child or maybe a parent, maybe you've gone through a loss recently. Uh, maybe you've had uh, job troubles. Maybe you've had something going in, on in your life that has brought hurt. And, and you're stuck here dealing with it. Asking the hard question. Why? What about me? How am I supposed to deal with this right now? Uh, for me, it wasn't um, a, a divorce situation. Actually, uh, one of the most raw uh, moments for me actually comes from uh, starting in middle school. Uh, I got my first job at a uh, golf center, a driving range. I was so excited about this place. Uh, I was so excited, in fact, that it was just getting started that I, I mailed the state an early work permit because I wasn't yet allowed to work legally. And I called the owner, and I emailed the owner, and I mailed the owner, and I was so relentless in wanting this job that he, he finally relented and gave it to me. And so when this place opened, uh, middle school Andy, young little sixth grader, seventh grader, something like that, was working alongside high school and, and college students and adults at this driving range, and I was so pumped. I got to wear this green jacket I got free driving lessons. I got to drive the ball picker and get hit by balls while it was busy. It was awesome. I was so pumped about it. And as um, I grew up, as the years went by and I got into high school, I remember the owner sitting me down with his son and saying, you know what, Andy? And his son's name was Andy, too. So many Andys. I feel like you guys could run this place after me. And so my pride just continued to increase, and I got more and more excited until Scott came along. Scott was the new manager, and all of a sudden, this golf center wasn't fun anymore because Scott had different ideas. I still don't like that name that much. Scott thought everything should be about promotion. Everything should be about marketing. Everything should be about selling people someone. So when you talked with a customer, it was a sales opportunity. When you talked with a golf pro, when you talked with other employers, somehow those were sales opportunities. And, and no longer was this kind of a fun hangout, uh, enjoy my time. It was salesmanship. And whether or not that was a good idea in hindsight, at the time, I did not like it. It ruined uh, the fun vibes at this place. Um, and I had some say. I had been around since the beginning. I, I've had some years at that place. In fact, I had had a, a few of my buddies hired on. And so one night, me and my buddy Marcus were venting about this guy. And I told him, I hate this guy. I hate his ideas. 
And he had this summer paintball idea that I knew was going to fail, and I was venting about it. I told him, you know what, maybe this idea is good, because maybe this will finally be the idea that flops. Uh, We lose a lot of money. Scott gets fired, and things get to go back to how they used to be. And Marcus agreed. We continued venting and kind of went on our way. Then Monday happened, and I went into work. And Scott said, hey, Andy. Could I talk to you in the back? Uh-oh. His first question was, so, what do you think about my summer camp idea? Uh-oh. <laughs> Turns out my friend Marcus wasn't so much of a friend and immediately went to Scott and ratted me out. He betrayed me. He told all of what I had said to Scott, and then I became the example for everybody who wasn't on board with the new system. And he told me, Andy, feel free to leave your green jacket on the chair on your way out. And I heard those words that I had never heard before. You're fired. I was crushed. This was my favorite job. I looked forward to coming to this place after school. I looked forward to the weekend so I could come here. I owned the place. The paycheck was just a bonus. It was just fun. And now I was fired. I was betrayed by a friend. I was ignored by the owner. And all of my hopes and dreams about this place were gone. And my reaction to this hurt I was not proud of, and I am not proud of. I lashed out. I tried to throw Marcus under the bus, too. I said, you should have heard Marcus. He was saying the same stuff. If you're going to fire me, you should fire him. And you know what? You should fire everybody else, too, because they all hate you. I lashed out at Scott, and I told him, I don't like you. I think you're wrong, and it's just a matter of time before you get fired, too. That's what we do with hurt sometimes, right? Hurting people hurt people. That's what I tried to do. My story uh, doesn't really have a good end. Kind of is the end, really. Still haven't talked with Marcus. I don't really know where he is in his life. But something that I think my story uh, tells me, and I think it hopefully tells you that too, is that we struggle in dealing with hurt. We don't deal with it well. We lash out. Uh, We kind of clam up and hold it in and bottle it up. And in our conversations, uh, we can end up hurting ourselves and hurting other people even more and burning bridges. And in today's uh, scripture, uh, we have a story of a young man who is hurt deeply. His name was Stephen. You see, shortly after um, this Jesus movement thing got started, uh, Jesus had died, he had risen again, he had descended into heaven, and he commissioned 12 disciples to kind of continue on the movement. And they did. And thousands and thousands of people were coming to faith, but there was a problem. They couldn't handle it all. They couldn't manage this. You see, they were spending more and more time dealing with day-to-day issues that they just couldn't manage. Uh, The new widows were arguing with the Jewish widows over who was getting the better deal. And they found themselves sitting here waiting on tables, and they're like, we can't do this anymore. And so their solution, in the book of Acts, they say, brothers and sisters, 
Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word, the important things that God has sent us to do. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also some other difficult names. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on him. So Stephen is this young, up-and-coming guy. Uh, He's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. You could read it for yourself if you looked through Scripture. Uh, Scripture has a lot of really great things to say about Stephen. Uh, It has to say that he was a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, uh, Others could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had gave him as he spoke. And my favorite, his face was like that of an angel. You know, he's exactly the type of guy that you would want uh, up and coming in this movement. He's a guy who's well-spoken. He's a guy who God is clearly using to do big things. He's a guy who's filled with grace, filled with God's spirit and power. And as a bonus, he's got a good-looking face, I guess. And Stephen, at the same time, is this young, bold, brash guy who's not afraid to speak his mind, and that's what he does. So when he meets um, some religious leaders, some box checkers, I like to call it, people who are kind of going through the motions, they claim uh, that they love God and know God, they're checking off the right boxes, but their life doesn't really show it. They kind of look like hypocrites. Uh, Stephen's not afraid to call them out, and he meets opposition for it. In fact, when opposition arises uh, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, just the Jews, um, as well as uh, Jews from other provinces who came uh, to speak against Stephen, uh, they began to argue with him, it says. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him. And I wish that Scripture would give us a little bit more detail here, because I would love to know how Stephen uh, immediately felt and responded when this opposition arose. Uh, was he, he, he kind of defeated? Was he disappointed that as well-spoken as he was, uh, people continued to oppose him? Uh, did he kind of just put his head down and move forward anyways? Because I think that's what a lot of us do sometimes uh, when hurt comes, especially when they're those little hurts that we don't want to own and don't want to admit that hurt us yet because we want to maintain our image. Uh, We kind of just put our head down and and move through it. Maybe another way to put it is we bottle it up until we just can't take it anymore. I wonder if maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe not. I I wish we could know more about that part of his life because I think that that's what a lot of us do when opposition arises. But of course, uh, Stephen being the winsome, uh, well-spoken man that he was, uh, they couldn't uh, uh, fully oppose him and get around him uh, just through arguments. And so uh, here's what they do next. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, before Jewish courts. And they produced false witnesses 
uh, these godly people who, who checked the box, one of them including thou shalt not bear false witness, um, stirred up and produced false witnesses who testified against him, saying that he never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and change the customs Moses handed down for us. And you've got to wonder at this time, what kind of raw deal did Stephen get? This young guy who, who's done nothing but sacrifice himself and his life to the cause of Christ. He's done everything for Jesus. And, and in this moment, when he could uh, use some help the most, where is everybody? Where are the disciples who laid hands on him and had been praying for him and are mentoring him to be kind of the next generation? Where are they? What about his brothers and sisters who had been waiting tables with him? Where are they? Where's anybody who, who could stick up for him in this moment? Will God send no one? I imagine there had to be a little bit of Stephen who felt just a little bit betrayed in this moment. A little bit alone. A little bit lonely. A little bit confused. What am I supposed to do with this, God? And they give him a chance to speak. And we can't go into it now. It would take way too much time. Uh, but if you're writing anything down, or if you have a good memory, uh, write down Acts 7. Because when Stephen opens up his mouth and speaks, his last words before he's about to be executed, what he says is magnificent. It's a testimony uh, to God and God's people, and how throughout all of history, uh, God's people have continuously turned away over and over and over again, and how God continues to chase after his people no matter how far they go, even to the point of sending Jesus. And even though God's people killed Jesus, that sacrifice was used by God for his glory and for us. Stephen's last words were a testimony to the gospel, even in the midst of his pain and his hurt. But that testimony culminates in this crucial conversation right here. Because when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of the worst persecution, in the midst of the hurt, he looks up to heaven and he sees God. And this is uh, huge and this is easy to kind of pass up. Uh, you see, throughout all of Scripture, whenever you see and whenever you hear Jesus at the right hand of God, he's always sitting. But in this one moment of Stephen's most intense hurt and intense pain, he's not alone. God granted him this vision of Jesus not sitting next to God, 
but standing. Standing at the right hand of God, honoring Stephen's hurt. Honoring Stephen's sacrifice. Showing Stephen you're not alone in this. You're not by yourself. I am here. I'm seeing this. I'm pleased. I'm with you. Stephen's not alone. And he makes it known to people. And it was in making it known that actually caused the end for him. Because at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And that doesn't mean they just kind of threw pebbles at him. That doesn't mean they took like the landscaping rock and threw it as hard as they can to make owies. This is boulders. Uh, being lobbed and crushed. You can see in the next verses, uh, this was such hard work. They had to kind of lay their coats aside to give enough uh, breathing room to really haul these stones and throw them at him. This is bone-breaking, crushing, puncturing, painful, brutal way to die. And in this hurt, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Listen to this prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. All of this work, all of this sacrifice, all of the betrayal, the loneliness, the emptiness, all of the pain bearing on him, and he prays one of the most confusing prayers ever. Don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. I can't really wrap my mind around that, but I think there's something there for us uh, to learn that in the midst of our deepest hurts, in the midst of our deepest pain, Stephen does some things here that can help us can help us through. It's not going to take away the pain. Stephen still died. But it can help us immensely. And, and I think I see three things that Stephen did right here that are, are crucial in this. And the first thing is that he looks to God. You know, we talked about this earlier, how hurting people hurt people. It's so easy to lash out it's so easy to get angry. It's so easy to be tight-fisted. It's so easy to even close in on ourselves. To look at ourselves, to look at others, to be mad, to be angry, to be depressed. But Stephen does something different. He looks to God in it. And it was in his looking to God that number two happened. He pointed others to God when he said, Look, I see Jesus. It's in the midst of our pains and our hurts and some of those deepest, darkest valleys of our lives that people see Jesus in us more than anything else. How we deal with those moments, how we act in those moments, where we look in those moments teaches us people, teaches us, teaches people about faith what faith really means when rubber meets the road. 
not the happy, I'm raising my hand all the time, but really when it gets real and raw, it teaches people. And then the third thing is that he prays. And there might be some of you here, uh, myself included sometimes, uh, when you see this prayer, Lord, forgive them, I'm not ready to pray that right now. I'm not ready to forgive them, much less ask for God to forgive them. I'm mad and I'm angry. But maybe if you couldn't pray that, you could pray this. God, I'm not ready to forgive them, but I'm going to give them to you right now. I'm going to give this over to you. I'm going to give this situation to you. And yeah, I know that you're a loving and a forgiving God, and I know that might be what you do. I'm going to let you take this and do what you will with it. Because people who go through grief that will share with you that it's in letting go of something, giving something up to God, that it begins to release you from those feelings of anger. It begins to free you. And it doesn't eliminate the hurt, but it sure does open up some space. And maybe down the road you'll be able to pray that prayer in full. But for now, maybe it's just, God, could you take this? And you saw in Scripture what happened when Stephen prayed that prayer. God took it, and God supernaturally blessed him to fall asleep in the midst of that pain so that he didn't feel the worst of it, but was carried away to heaven. And I feel like God will do that for you too. He might not free you from some intense pain, but he might just carry you through the worst of it and spare you from something that could be so much worse. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what pain or what hurt you're going through. Uh, Maybe it's devastating. Maybe it seems small. Maybe it's something that you've been bottling in and you're not even aware of. But if God could do something like this for Stephen, who's being executed, who's being murdered, betrayed, alone, lonely, how much more could he do that for you and me in our situations? Let's pray.